where I needed to be, where what the kids needed to see, you know, me being a visible minority, I needed to be in the French system. I need to show them that, you know, hey, like my French isn't perfect, but I'm here and I'm able to work in a French system and I'm respected and I'm doing well and I'm happy. Mm -hmm. And you can do this too. Mm -hmm. So that's why I've targeted the French system because also because of Bill 101. You know, like it's interesting, like my clientele is a mix of both French Quebecois students and students whose families aren't necessarily from Quebec mm -hmm. and who come here. And then you have like this interesting dynamic in the classroom where all of a sudden what's manifesting is not just English class, but a question of ethics, a question of identity. Like, do I belong here? Am I supposed to be here? Can I be successful here? And I'm here to bridge that. To show all kids that, yes, you all belong here and you can all be successful here. Alpha Relations, driving change forward. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Alpha Relations. My name's Luca and I'm here with Alan. Hello. And Alex, unfortunately, can't be here due to end-of-semester grind going on last week here. So she'll be taking this episode out just to work on her stuff. Um, but today, we have ourselves a special guest. She is a high school teacher at a French school teaching English. And she is on the front lines right now um, throughout the year dealing with this whole pandemic. Everyone, welcome, Neela! Yes! Woo! Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Neela, to our uh, virtual humble abode here. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on. So to start off our episode, usually when we have guests, we like to just give them the space just to sort of introduce themselves, you know, who you are. Uh, maybe tell us a little bit about your upbringing. Okay, sure. So I currently teach at Ecole Secondaire Saint-Luc. This is my second year. I've been teaching there. Currently this year, I teach Sec 1, 2, and 3. I teach English. Wow. Yeah. It's the... Oh. Uh, yeah. It's a wild ride. Yeah, I have seven groups. So I have seven groups of kids. I love them. I love my job. Uh, I studied in Sherbrooke. So I was at Bishop's University. That's right in my education. I grew up in the South Shore. So I grew up in St. Bruno. So it's still kind of, a, you know, predominantly French area. But then I mm -hmm. moved in town when I was 17. And I went to Dawson. And then moved back to Sherbrooke for Bishop's. And yeah. Now I'm here teaching an NDG, teaching at a French school. That's crazy. Um, just thinking about that, you know, I mean, what is that like knowing that you have started off, I mean, two years ago, so you're in your second year, correct? Yeah, okay. second year of teaching, like, this is my job. <laughs> two years into this, right, you have seven groups. How many kids is that? That's like 30 kids on average or? Approximately, yeah. So some of my oh groups, my wow. they're even more kids. So based on their you know, learning needs, they might actually even be like one child might be 3.4 kids, technically, depending on the amount of emotional space they take and intellectual space they take, mm -hmm. um, just based on their needs, right? So it averages around 34, 36 kids per class, usually. Wow. Yeah. Damn, yeah. I'm just thinking about that now, just like, I mean, 
um that makes me feel anxious you know especially like starting off two years ago you you're rather you're fresh onto this but you sounds like you have a full plate what was that like i mean just starting off you know i mean did you get your did you get a position right away coming out of uh your your degree at bishops yeah so that was a privilege i learned quickly that i had so i learned that most of te- most teachers took around, you know, five, six, seven, even maybe eight years before they got their permanency. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the year, I'm going to get my permanency just because there's such a need for teachers, especially English teachers in the French system. Right. So there's not a lot of us who've gotten that degree who have that, you know, professional recognition that mm-hmm. want to work in French high schools. There's not a lot of us. So, you know, I was thinking this year when I applied for my permanency, there was you know, 15 full-time positions and there were 17 of us applying mm-hmm. and I got my first choice. Wow. Mm. Wow. That's yeah. rare. So it just goes to show that, you know, it's, especially for the English teachers in French school, it's not that competitive right now. So compared to like, you know, if you're, maybe if you're an, if you want to be an art teacher, if you want to be a history teacher, or maybe if you want to be an English teacher, but in the English system, it's going to take you a lot longer to get your permanency. So permanency just means that you are you have a guaranteed position at that school at hundred okay. percent, and you're set. Right. So some people actually work, you know, at you know sixty, seventy percent, even lower. Their contracts are lower, so they only get like let's you know I have someone at my school who has a forty percent contract, so they only get forty percent of their salary. Um, but you know their schedule looks like. A piece of Swiss cheese. It's like everywhere. (laughs) They can't manage to have, you know, another part-time job. But, you know, the secretary of my school is so great. And because we have so many kids, like we, Mm -hmm. my my school, there's over 2,000 full, like full-time kids at the school. So there's a lot of opportunity for substitute teaching. So he's able to fill it up with those substitutions. But it's what I got. It's unheard of. Yeah. You know, it's not the typical experience of a teacher coming out of university. Mm-hmm. And why why English, or more specifically, why English? Why teach English inside a French school? Why did you go towards that? You know, it's interesting because I find like my values align a lot with the English system mm. compared to the French system, and I feel more secure and more safe and at home in the French in the sorry in the English system. But then I felt like where I needed to be, where what the kids needed to see, you know, me being a visible minority, I needed to be in the French system. I need to show them that, you know, hey, like my French isn't perfect, but I'm here and I'm able to work in a French system and I'm respected and I'm doing well and I'm happy Mm -hmm. and you can do this too. Mm -hmm. So that's why I've targeted the French system because... Also because of Bill 101, you know, like it's interesting, like my clientele is a mix of both French Quebecois students and students whose families aren't necessarily from Quebec Mm -hmm. and who come here. And then you have like this interesting dynamic in the classroom where all of a sudden what's manifesting is not just English class, but a question of ethics, a question of identity. Like, do I belong here? Am I supposed to be here? Can I be successful here? And I'm here to bridge that. To show all kids that, yes, you all belong here and you can all be successful here. 
just w- would you mind, you know, uh, giving us, uh, or rather, just defining for the, our listeners out there what Bill One Hundred One is exactly? So Bill One Hundred One just really dictates. It's you know, I have to get the stat out. Actually, you know, maybe that's something we can like talk about after too. I should have yeah, gotten it before, yeah. but nice. it's basically you know, if your parents aren't born in Quebec, you do not have the right to choose whether you go to English school or French school, you must go to French school. Mm-hmm. And this is a question of, you know, also being able to integrate in society. And, you know, when you look at it from a outside perspective, it's amazing too, because you end up, you know, learning a language and you end up being bilingual or trilingual mm-hmm. or even more, you know, some of my students, you know, when I meet their parents at parent teacher interviews, they're translating for their parents and they're fully trilingual. It is so impressive. I would agree. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. To be fully yeah. trilingual or quadrilingual at 14, 15, 16 years old mm-hmm. is such an accomplishment mm-hmm. yeah. and will open Incredible. so many doors. That yeah. it most certainly will. It's like juggling. You know, I just, I, I can't comprehend it. But to the person doing the act, you know, they just, um, they vibe with it. You know, they've, they've picked up on it. It's like they're just absorbing it like a sponge. Right? Uh, yeah. I think that's fantastic. So, and that ends in high school. So once you, you can choose what CSHEP you participate in or university, but when it comes to elementary, when it comes to high school, it pretty much dictates what you have to do. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, for our listeners out there, you know, also that's important because, you know, I have students who, you know, they've just come here and they're functional in English, but they're not functional in French, but all of a sudden Every single class they have to take, except for my class, is in French. Even their gym class is in French. That's not easy. No, no, that's challenging. Yeah. You know, I can imagine just like, I mean, putting myself in, you know, the shoes of someone that has to do that, just feeling like discombobulated, you know? I mean, especially if you come here being unaware, right? Of the fact that, oh, okay, well, like, I arrived in Quebec, you know, for whatever the reasons may be. Um, and then you're like you're thrown into a system, not having having very little say, not having a say, you know, as to where like I wanted to attend an English high school versus a French high school, right? And it's just like, yeah, no, I can imagine that's very difficult for some. And you know what, you're because your grades matter for CJ, mm-hmm. for the mm-hmm. program you want. Mm-hmm. It's like should that be dictated by your language ability? And we have to also look at the facts. You know, English CJEPs are very competitive to get into. Yeah. Very, very limited, too, in Montreal, too. So that's crazy. That's yeah. true. Yeah. So, remember, oh, go ahead, please. No, go ahead. I'm listening to you. Yeah, no, just do you remember a time where um, I think, let me see, it was uh, 2011, 2012. You know, there was a crisis, a CJEP crisis here where a bunch of francophones just who have recently graduated from high school were trying to apply and they were getting accepted into the English CEGEPs and knowing that, you know, we only have a, a finite amount of English CEGEPs, right? Just alone on the island of Montreal, we have, what, three, you know? But if you look at the entirety of Quebec, how many French CEGEPs are there? Mm-hmm. And then they were taking up all the spots and then English students who attended English high school, you know, were, were, were being like displaced. Like, there was no more room for them. Right? Yeah. That was a wild time. A wild time. I remember certain people getting anxious about it, thinking, like, oh my God, I'm not going to get into Seishep now. Like, I'm like, relax, we have three years until we get there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my 
Oh my god. Oh, like, go on. <laughs> All right, so just bringing it back a little bit, you mentioned um, two things I just want to touch on. So you mentioned um, how you have values that line up more within the English um, schooling, I believe, and um, also that you're a visible minority. So I just want to just sort of dive into that a little bit, um, talk about a little bit about your upbringing and whether those values come from your upbringing. Yeah, sure. So my father is, you know, Eastern European, so he's Ukrainian. Uh, and my mother is Indian, so she was fully born in Delhi. My father my father was born here, so he grew up, you know, with the, you know, Canadian mentalities. But my mom, she was born in Punjab, and she grew up there for a bit. Then she came here, obviously, with the family. Uh, so it was still, it was like a, you know, an intergenerational household where she, you know, my grandparents had full-on you know, Punjabi values, but she grew up being around, you know, such a different environment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I grew up with that. I grew up with a lot of openness, you know, a lot of encouragement. Sorry, do you hear my cat? We do. <laughs> yeah, hey, we do. you know what? I mean, Alex, if you listen to this, the cat has replaced you. Yeah. <laughs> it's our third calls. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, uh, welcome, Neela's cat. Neela, what's the, what's the lovely cat's name? Pico. Pico. She oh. left. Oh, yeah. sorry. Because okay. okay. I can hear her through my headphones, and I'm like, crap. If you know, if I can hear her, the, everyone else can hear her. Don't worry. Don't worry. Oh All right. God. All right. When, yeah. when we write this up, we're gonna be that. You know, episode twenty-three featuring you know Nila and uh, her sidekick Pico. Yep. This happens. You know what? Whenever I had to do online class from home, you know my pets always have to make like an impromptu entrance. I'm dead. Oh boy. Oh, yeah. Boy. Oh, I love yeah. it. Yeah, but or please, so please continue. Someone will knock on Go the door, and right? They'll bark, and I'm just like, okay. Sorry, I'll just like mute myself, and the kids are like, "Miss, you're muted." And I'm like, "Okay, yeah, I know." <laughs> <laughs> oh, c'est la vie these days, eh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so going back to it, um, but yeah, so because of that, I always grew up with this openness, with this sense of, yeah, you can be whoever you want to be, and you know, as long as you work hard and you run for every opportunity, you put yourself out of your comfort zone, you know, you can make it. I've always grown up, grown up with that mentality. My parents, you know, they both speak, you know, English and French fluently. My mom speaks Punjabi fluently. You know, I grew up going to Gurdwara every Sunday. So I, you know, my my family, even my father on the census puts that he's Sikh. You know, my whole family mm -hmm. does that. Um, you know, I don't know if I consider myself religious, but that's my community. Yes. Right? Absolutely. And I feel like, when I, you know, at Bishop's University, at the end of our teaching degree, they had an interview day. So they had all these school boards come in and interview us. So obviously I signed up to everybody who was looking for, you know, English, an English teacher. Because even for me, even though I studied English as a second language, so in this degree, I can, I'm qualified to teach in elementary, I'm qualified to teach in high school, but I'm also qualified to teach in an English school, but it has to be grade nine or under. Mm -hmm. technically um you know lester b pearson came to interview me and you know they were openly speaking about bill 21 you know that the year i graduated was the year that they enacted the government uh bill 21 which is you could not wear religious symbols in the workplace if you're in public service that's right so 
you know, we openly talked about that during my interview and they were like, yeah, we complete, they, you know, the people who were interviewing me were saying like, they completely disagreed with it. They think it's wrong. And it was a much like a very liberal perspective, a very open perspective. And I personally really identify that because I don't like when people impose anything on me and I don't want to impose anything on anybody else. Right? Like if this is who you are, this is how you're happy. You know, by all means, you have the right. We only have one life. We're all going through this crazy world, right? And then on the other hand, you know, when I went to this French school, it's interesting because I actually had a conversation with another teacher, you know, on the last pet day, so on Friday. And I found out that two of the teachers at my school that I currently work at only decided to put on, you know, a veil well, one a hijab, but one a veil mm-hmm. when Bill 21 was enacted. So Bill 21 dictates that if you were already in the system and you were wearing, you know, a religious symbol, you were grandfathered, like grandfathered in the system and you can wear it. But if you were new entering the system, you could not. And this affected a lot of people. This affected people who were in their schooling. You know, I remember reading about this woman who was, you know, studying a law degree and all of a sudden she had to make this extremely personal choice mm-hmm. on whether to pursue law or to pursue, you know, her identity. And this is a choice that we have to remember that isn't imposed on everybody. And it isn't imposed on everybody equally either. No. Yeah. So these two women in my workplace in solidarity made the conscious choice to put on a religious symbol that year. And the response to that, what I found out, because I wasn't there when this happened, when their when their transition took place, mm-hmm. was why are you doing that? You know, what's the point? This teacher actually, another teacher told me, oh, you know what? She doesn't even look good with that. It makes her look older. Why is she wearing it? And we're, yeah, yeah and we're talking about someone who teaches kids. Disgusting. Honestly. Mm. That's outrageous. It's like you're looking at it so superficial, like superficially. I mean, I just, yeah, it broke my heart because, you know, here I am teaching kids who come from all these different places, come from all these different backgrounds, have all these different types of values are still discovering themselves. Mm -hmm. And as a society, we're telling them, you know, you know, you can't, you can't be this. You can't be that. You have to choose between yourself and how you present yourself to the rest of society, depending on the job you choose. That's an extremely difficult position to be in. And, you know, when I had these conversation with these members of the, you know, Lester B. Pearson mm-hmm. hiring committee, they were openly really against Bill 21. And yet, when I signed my contract for you know, Commission Scarlet de Montréal. You know, they told me like this is a contract you have to sign that you're not going to wear a religious symbol. And I was like, thinking in my mind, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to get a tattoo of the Sikh symbol on my body, and you're never going to know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you're never going to think know. outside the box. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's a different reality. Hmm. It's a different reality. And what have you found so far 
two years into it, um, you're still currently working for the Commission Scolaire de Montréal. Yeah. Okay. What um what are what what what's your thoughts your your stance thus far uh, on what you have observed you know in particular to Bill Twenty One. You know, it's tough. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, I bring a lot of ethics into my class. I bring a lot of fun, but I also bring a lot of deep conversation in my class because, you know, one of the things I want to teach my students, if I can teach them anything, is how to be tolerant to each other mm-hmm. and how to be accepting of other people's values that you may not accept for yourself, but that you'll accept for someone else. Um, That's big, especially teaching that at that age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes it's not easy. I bet not. Can you walk us through like a, a given scenario or? A- yeah, I can give you actually a really touchy topic that happened this year, like a yeah, really touchy yeah. topic. Yeah. So. Or is yours? Okay. You know, so at the beginning of the year, I decided to teach my students, especially my secondary two students. So we're talking about you know fourteen and fifteen year olds about the Black Lives Matter movement. And I brought up how the John A. McDonald statue came down, you know, in the beginning of September. So I, uh, where is this? In like near Drummond, there's a park and we have a statue. Yep, Dominion Square. I, I, yep. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Mm. And, you know, I decided to start off my class with that. And I was like, so who do you think John A. McDonald is? Why would people bring the statue down? You know, and they didn't know that that was our first prime minister. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm glad to teach you. <laughs> I'm like, this is not a part of the English curriculum, but like, let's go. <laughs> let's Call do it. History teacher real quick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, okay. So, okay. What, you know, honestly, what I'm going to tell you is like really, it's really touchy. And I find myself coming into these touchy situations. So what happened is, you know, whilst I'm teaching them about Black Lives Matter, and we talked about George Floyd, we talked about, you know, intersectionality between, you know, Black Lives Matter and, you know, Indigenous rights and First Nations rights and Inuit rights and Métis rights in Canada. Um, Or Turtle Island, I should actually say, you know, in respect. But, okay, so the history teacher in with this group of students decided to talk about, you know, and he teaches geography also. Mm-hmm. He decided to talk about a river in South America called, you know, the Negro River. And in Spanish, it means the color black, right? But whilst I was teaching the students about Black Lives Matter and to be outspoken and to recognize injustice, you know, in their daily lives, not just global movements, mm-hmm. right? Because we talked about desegregation. We talked about, you know, we went really deep in that subject. My students started a question, well, out of all the rivers, why is our geography teaching geography teacher teaching this river? Why did he choose this river? Mm-hmm. When this word has such a big meaning. And this guy is, you know, okay, I don't want to bring race into it, but you know, he I'm going to, you know, he's white, French, Quebecois. Why out of all the rivers in the world that he could teach and that he could bring up, why is he gonna bring up that river and not acknowledge what that word carries to the students in his class class who are like, you know, diverse, who are black, who have, you know, roots, you know, that are attached to this word. 
And why is he going to acknowledge this? Even though it doesn't have a colonial history, this word. It doesn't. You know, the way the reason why the river is named that is because the sediment is so dark in the river that it's called the Black River. But to the students, while they were learning what I what they were learning with me, they were like, but why? Out of all the rivers in the world, why'd you choose this one? Mm-hmm. It's off. Yeah. And he told them, but it's just a river. It's just a name. It's just the color. And here I am in this position being like, okay, fuck, what do I say to the kids? You know, like <laughs> That's a difficult yeah. Do yeah. I you know, like I see what he's trying to say. But most importantly, I see what my kids are trying to say. Yeah. And I see them, they have a history to this word. Because, you know, when we talked about desegregation, like I wa- I ha- we watched the movie Remember the Titans. It's a Disney movie. Yeah, I yeah, know. It's, it. a, yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's a good movie, right? But, but prior to that, so I think, you know, they understood what was happening. We talked about desegregation and I showed them the document that was, you know, the Brown versus Board of Education, which is like a law document. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it uses that word. But it's a derogatory. And I explicitly told them we do not use that language anymore to describe people. Period. You said I sh- it. Yeah, I showed them yeah. the document. But you know what? I, I think it's important, like, you know, to show them real documentation. But I don't read it. I don't say the word. I don't ask my students to read it. I don't ask them to say the word. I just acknowledge it. And I say, this is a word we do not use to describe people anymore. But we're moving on. Right? Mm -hmm. Honestly, yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but I was just like, I mean, I think that was the, the best course of action that you could have done, you know, and good for you because that's, I, I can't imagine what it's like to be in that hot seat right there. You're surrounded by the uh, your, your students here, and you want to set the best possible example. You I mean, tying back into your values, you know, as is you as a person, and what you want to you want to share that with your students, and just like how that delicacy of moving forward. I, I couldn't have imagined what that must have been like. So kudos to you, honestly. Right, and then yeah. the, so the situation erupted. My kids, I'm so proud of them. They questioned this teacher. Yeah. They questioned, you know, his ability to you know teach in front of them but at the same time it put a really negative spotlight on them people you know in my workplace the popular opinion was this is a dangerous situation they cannot be questioning you know what teachers are teaching them it's just the name of a river but yeah okay when you hyper focus on it it's just the name of a river But look at what people are experiencing today. Look at discrimination that's happening, not just in the U.S. with George Floyd. But, you know, I talked with my students about they wrote a journal entry on a response to how the police, like specifically the SPVM, are treating people of color, you know, at randomized street checks. So that they know it's not just the U.S. It is not just, you know, away from them. It is here too. Mm-hmm. And we have to keep people accountable. And it's not, it's like, you know what, it's, you can't, I tell my students all the time, you have to give people the chance to change and you have to give people the chance to understand something because otherwise we're going to be permanently divided and people are never going to want to change. And then they're permanently going to stay in their negative, you know, 
ways. And they understand that. And they took it so much to heart, they put another teacher in the hot seat. And, you know, what happened out of that whole conversation was instead of inviting an external organization to come in to maybe talk about it even further, to give a safe space for the students to talk about mm -hmm. it, we had a psychoeducator at the school who works at the school permanently, who is also a white French Quebecois, come into the classroom, the, you know, the geography history class, to deconstruct what happened. But then from the student's perspective, representation is so important. And then here you have two white French Quebecois teachers telling you, yeah, it's just the name of the river. Take it like that. And yet... There's a lot of a lack of awareness in this situation here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and big time. here I am listening to these conversations in the teacher's lounge being like, I don't understand why you guys don't get it. You know what I'm saying? And I told the students, I'm like, I, you know, I'm proud of you for speaking your mind. I'm proud of you for, you know, being polite. Because at the end of the day, you know, my history isn't tied to that word. It's not actually tied to any sort of language, my history. But theirs is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's wrong with society in the sense of when you're approaching education is that you have to understand your position and how to act within your position and recognize that you are in a position of authority, you are in a position of power, and you have to respect that. So, Knowing, based off that situation alone, and I can imagine that there have been... <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I mean, similar ones. I mean, stuff that we have heard about, you know, in our time being a part, uh, going through our own education, you yourself being an educator and uh, continuing continuing to do that. Um, has there has there been any form, especially, you know, in recent you know time, been any form of like a sensitivity training or like a staff training where this uh, was brought up, you know, to further discuss about maybe a plan of action if such a scenario is to occur? How do we approach X, Y, and Z? So, you know, that's what I'm so surprised about, Alan, is that mm -hmm. it's not. You know, like I understood at Bishops, I'm lucky because I was in a scenario where most of my classes did not exceed 60 people. And some of my classes were, were like as little as nine. Wow. Wow. It was like yeah. really small. So I got to know my professors. I got to, you know, work on projects. It wasn't solely exams. And some of the courses that I took, you know, I can think of them off the top of my head, um, education, colonization and decolonization or, you know, social justice and anti-discrimination like education. This is like a very recent curriculum that a lot of universities, not just unique to bishops are implementing. But then when I look at, you know, my older colleagues who did not receive that, mm. it's, it shows. Mm hmm and, you know, we have pet days as teachers. So there are opportunities for the school board to be like, you know, no, we're going to enrich you guys. We're going to, you know, maintain your, your own education so that you're able to teach the students that, you know, the, like a modern perspective, a right perspective. And that isn't the case. I, I, you know, I tell my parents all the time, this is the only profession that has a license because I do have my brevet with education. Like I do have a license, mm -hmm. but that I do not have to do anything to maintain it. Mm -hmm. I don't have to take any courses 
or do anything to maintain my status as a teacher. But that needs to be done, in my opinion, because things change so rapidly, as we see this year with online teaching. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's tough. It's tough and it's heavy, you know, just because it's still going on, you know, it has been going on. And like you said, I mean, it's not just being polarized in the States. We go through this in our own city every, every single day. You know? And it's just, I mean, I'm, I just wonder, you know, I mean, my, my point of view is like, I mean, it's, but how, like, I mean, how, how can we make those changes? And you talk about it, you just brought it up now. And clearly from my point of view, um, there's a gap, right? Between your generation, you know, the upcoming generation of educators, teachers, what have you, versus those who are still there. And that's not to say that, I mean, they're all alike, of course. I mean, I'm sure there's many of them who are willing to learn, to embrace that change. But um, that process about going about it, right? Or even, Alan, being, you know, brave enough to talk about it. Mm. I have teachers now who, because of the situation are like, no, okay, we cannot talk about it. They, you know, I've had teachers approach me being like, no, you cannot talk about Black Lives Matter in the classroom because it's too touchy of a topic. It's too sensitive. Mm -hmm. It's too controversial. But it's happening. Mm -hmm. It's part of our society. Yeah. 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 And as an English teacher, I have the luxury of focusing, you know, on anything I want. I can, you know, talk about history. I talk about ethics. I talk about art. I can talk about... I try to go into my students' interests and, you know, with my, you know, secondary twos, that was a topic I wanted to talk about. And, you know, other teachers will argue, okay, but, you know, at that age, the critical thinking isn't there or Mm -hmm. their ability to understand things at a deeper level isn't, you know, let's say as elevated as like sec four or five. But then in my defense, I'm like, no, but you know what? They can learn about equality. They know in their guts when something isn't doesn't feel right. They experience things as other human beings. It's your ability as a teacher to be able to transmit information that they're able to understand and apply to their own lives. That is something you have to work on. That's something as a teacher I always work on. Seriously, sometimes I give a class to one group and then I'm like, no, okay, Uh, when I see my other group later today, I'm going to switch this around or tweak this because it didn't work for this group. I'm constantly in that reflective process. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I don't see why other teachers can't do the same Mm. and not, and just have like, you know, we're an educational institution. Our job is to teach. Mm -hmm. If we can't teach it, who is going to teach these kids? Who, who are going to teach these kids? Like, where are they going to learn this information from? Mm-hmm. And it's so important to have those conversations. Like the way you progress and, and get to where we want to get to is through these conversations and getting, you know, this and having the the education and the knowledge about this stuff. So I really admire the fact that you actually, you know, take the time to, you know, teach and, and, and talk about these things with your students because, you know, teachers are really are the first role models are the four more or less the first mentors other than your parents that you get right you're pretty much spending pretty much a year of your life every semester or every whatever year in high school pretty much with this teacher and 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 it's just so powerful that the the position that you have because you really do shape the future of these children right 
and I have it's so impactful. many, yeah, and I have yeah. so many teachers I can think back up, especially back in like, I know growing up where they actually had that impact on me, and it's so important to have those teachers going forward, and these conversations um, are so powerful for our future generations for sure. So I really admire that. Um, so going, I, I just want to continue on a little bit with this topic, just maybe just maybe focusing a little bit on you have you ever experienced um racism yourself and how how did you if you did how did you um react to it and and deal with it okay so i that's a yeah that's a very loaded question so i you know i studied at sherbrooke right Mm -hmm. and where i did my stash i did one in sherbrooke i did one actually i did two in sherbrooke one in kindergarten i did one in sec three and five in sherbrooke and then i did one in sec four in St. Bruno and I was the only visible minority in those departments in the English departments at these schools and I felt like I had to use my ability to speak French as sort of validation you know that I could that I belong that I can function that I'm good enough to be here I had, I remember distinctly, you know, in Sherbrooke, I had an experience with a, you know, a fellow teacher who, because, you know, my French is imperfect, right? Like, first and foremost, I'm an English teacher. And I take that extremely seriously. You know, I'm very well read. I studied in English. I'm very competent in English. My French, you know, par contre, même si je peux me débrouiller quand même, puis j'ai un accent qui est quand même bien, c'est, c'est pas parfait. Mm-hmm. Even my students, they'll correct me in class. You know, if I'm trying to translate to the students who, you know, are like, okay, can you speak? Can you tell me this in French so I understand? Of course I will, but it's not perfect. Um, and I remember in one of my schools, a teacher told me, you know, what are you doing here? You can't even speak French properly. You don't even look Quebecois. Oh, well. And I'm like, okay, fine. I don't know what Québécois means to you. I don't know what it means to be Québécois for you. But my perspective is a lot bigger than yours. You know? And I remember just, like, that's what I was thinking. I didn't say it. And, you know, I played that conversation in my head. You know, maybe I should have said something. But in my mind, at the end of the day, what I thought was, he teaches a whole bunch of kids that look like me. He's around kids that look like me. Mm Mm-hmm. Again, where where's the awareness? Like, but uh, also, where's the compassion? Where's the yeah, empathy? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. If you're thinking that of me, what are you mm-hmm. thinking about your students when you grade them? When you're in front of them? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's scary. It's very That's scary. scary. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and it's very un- unsettling feeling, you know, that I get from that. Oh. It is, and you know, it just motivated me to just be like, okay, well, this is exactly why I belong here. <laughs> You know, I'd like, I'm not going to let, and that's actually something I had to face in my stage a lot. In many of my stages was like, I had to overcome situations that were extremely personal, similar to that one. And I was like, you know what? I'm here for only X more amount of days. And am I going to let that one person, you know, dictate what I'm going to do in the future? No, no, I don't know this person, you know? Three weeks from now, four weeks from now, 13 weeks from now, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be around this person. Am I going to let them, you know, take away all my accomplishments up to this point? No. No. But 
to me, it's just that idea of as a stagiaire at the time, if I was dealing with that, what are the students, what are the students dealing with, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause that's the thing too. When you become a teacher, you get your degree, but you, you don't get like a, you know, you pass a criminal record, of course, like you have to get vetted by the police, but you don't have to take a psychology test. You don't have to take a, a values test. And you know, to an extent, that's kind of questionable because yeah. based on the government we know now, you know, especially with Bill 21, what value mm. tests are they actually imposing on us? Right? If you look at the Quebec education program, you know, it talks about being culturally diverse. It talks about being open. And yet here you have the government making a decision that's systemically discriminatory. Yeah, it's like the intention and the impact are not lining up here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I could talk about other experiences that I had as a, you know, as a stagiaire or, you know, even being at school and people like my colleagues will tell me like, oh, oh, so where are you from? No, no. Where are you from, from? You know, like, yeah, I'm born here. No, no, no. Where are you from, from? Oh, you're such a beautiful mix, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, this doesn't sound like a professional conversation. No, no. You know? And this is coming from people, you know, and I qu- I learned quickly to not seek validation from my colleagues because this is coming from people who are older. Some of them twice the age of me, even older than that. And I'm like, you know, you should know better, but they don't. You think after like being more than double the amount of years on this planet than me, they would know better, but they don't. Mm-hmm. In that sense. Yeah. Right? I'm not going to describe yeah. them everywhere else, but. No, no, I, I hear you, but. It just really goes to show how much work, you know, still needs to be done, right? And you being here is, you know, it's a testament to how you feel about the entire situation. And you're an advocate. You're more than just a teacher, you know. You're an advocate for all generations, all peoples, you know. I mean, just in the most beautiful way, you know, in the sense of of education and knowing that we need that inclusivity. We need that acceptance, you know. We need, as you said it before, to have that compassion for where people are coming from. You know, we may not, you know, entirely understand, but we don't need to do that. You just need to be human. And to be human means just to, you have a heart, right? Uh, Yeah. And that's why I tell my kids all the time, right? I'm like, you don't have to necessarily agree with someone else, but you have to respect that person's ability to make the choice for themselves, just as you would want that respect. Mm Mm-hmm. So we often have debates in the class about a range of ethical issues. And, you know, sometimes it gets fun. Like, you know, I have my students create their own music festivals. So, I mean, sometimes it's not all about... so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's not all about the heavy stuff. You know, we do poetry. I had the kids, you know, outside and looking at the landscape and making, you know, poems about what they've seen. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, I just want to teach them to be, you know, functional citizens in society. Mm-hmm. and to be happy and to be happy with themselves right so mm-hmm. that's fantastic um you just um let's uh we're, we're gonna change gears here a little bit right so we, we talked about a lot of heavy stuff you know but the important you know significant things here um describe us walk us through a day you know like or, or through like a given week you know 
Oh, look at you go. You know? All right. A given week. So like you, you say, you yeah. have, you, you bring up, uh, there are ethical debates, but at the same time, like you have poetry, you plan activities, you know, sounds like, that sounds like fun. Honestly, like I wouldn't mind returning to high school for a bit and, and seeing what this is all about. Right. That sounds great. Please, you know, just tell us like, what is your, your personal structure, your teaching style like? Oh, wow. Okay. It depends, right? Because I have my online teaching style now and then I have oh, you're my right. Look at that. in-person okay. teaching style. Give us a little taste of both. Okay. So my online, obviously, okay. So I'll run it through real quick. You know, like um, not even two weeks ago, my school personally was shut down for two weeks because there was too many cases of a variant in the school. So some people did shut us down for two weeks and said, okay, all of you are moving online for mm. two weeks uh and in general even after christmas you know we were online for two weeks and sometimes i have student you know classes that are randomly closed for you know two weeks also because if there's a case technically the santé public will close it for the school i mean not the school the class for two weeks like the group class um and how i teach my kids it, i usually have two different formats Sometimes we'll do, you know, a review on grammar, we'll read a text or we'll watch a video and they'll answer questions. And as soon as they're done their work, though, they send it to me. I look through it quick and they can leave class. So they're not, you know, in class online plugged in with me for 75 minutes. If they do their work, some of them even get off at like, you know, the ones who are really motivated, maybe mm -hmm. 35 minutes in. And that's not most kids though. That's a few. Mm -hmm. uh, and the reason why I do that is because I don't believe in keeping kids plugged in for the whole day for four 75 minute periods online. I don't believe in it. I don't think it's um, motivational for them at all. And I think at one point they'll just lose attention. So I teach for a little bit. I give them a task to do. And as soon as they accomplish it, they send it to me. I check it over. And if it's good, boom, okay, you're out of class. Have a great day. Nice. So I do that um, with my other groups, my, my sec threes, because they're a bit older. Usually I do a kahoot at the end of class. So based on what we've learned at the end of class, we do a kahoot. And, you know, I give like prizes. I give like airheads when we get together back in class. Oh, then you know, they're going to hold you to it. You know, <laughs> you, know you better load up. Damn. I do. Amazon's amazing for that. You know, hey. So, yeah. yeah. I got to check that out. That's fantastic. You know, like, I mean, this... Um, you, you have to work fast on your feet, right? And as you said it before, like, I mean, the government, you know, decides one day, okay, well, we're shifting, going with plan B. Oh, tomorrow we're going back to plan A, you know, and then C and whatnot, right? Like, it's, I think it's very impressive what you guys have to do. I think it's very difficult, you know, from what it sounds like. But uh, the fact that you can do that, you can be quick on your feet to have that adaptation, you know, um, I'd be very happy if I were a student, you know, and that I have a teacher that can look out for myself and my peers like that. Yeah. You know? That's what I try yeah. to do. Right. So like even mm -hmm. in my online, in my in-person class. Okay. So, um, you know, my students just went through exams with me. So they had like a situation, they had to write an essay. Some of them had to do grammar tests, depending on the level, right? Cause I teach step one, two and three. Right. And you know, for my step ones, I'm like, okay, well you guys did your, your grammar test. It went great. And we're going to have a break now. So, for one class, we watched two episodes of The Mandalorian. Ooh. Yeah, and there was nothing attached to it. There was no homework, no nothing. Like, you know, I'm putting it on the projector. It's like a big screen. Like, let's just enjoy, watch episodes of Mandalorian. Let's have a good time, you know? 
I put the French subtitles on for the kids, you know, who their English level is like a little bit lower and everyone's just chilling. Everyone's just relaxing because, you know, we have to understand too, that these kids, like they have no agency over their lives right now. They just have school and that's it. And their parents get to decide everything. Like, no, you can't go outside. You can't, you know, play sports. You can't go see your friends. So I try to create, um, you know, something fun. Or something mm-hmm. where it's not necessarily just based on learning. Because in a way, you know, watching something too, especially in English class, is learning. Yes, it is. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So I try to do that. And then another thing that I do for my kids is I, if they fail anything with me, because I want them to take risks, I want them to do well, they can redo it with me for a maximum of a 60%. So they still get to pass it. So whether it's an exam, whether it's an assignment, whether it's an essay, if they fail it or they weren't doing well that day, whatever they can redo it with me and get it their 60% so that they learn and they're not stressed. Like I'm removing that stress away from them. So that's pretty much a, you know, a day in Mila is like, you know, at school is, you know, I go to school, I go to class, I'm teaching usually in person with my mask then I have my visor. I'm going through all my kids stuff. And you have to understand too, it's like so impossible, especially in English to, just talk the whole class. Like we have a lot of different activities. They're talking. Um, if they show me their That's work, yeah. I we're less than two meters here. Do you know what I'm saying? Like my, what I do in my class doesn't apply anywhere else. Like even the grocery store, you know, like the kids are around me. They're showing me their work. They're asking me questions. It's a very dynamic thing that's going on. Mm-hmm. And I'll keep it that way. And I do keep it that way because I think it's important for their learning, their sanity too, to feel like they're being supported you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's pretty much a day in Nila. And then I have, you know, lunchtime. I usually, I'm usually with my students. Um, if someone needs to redo exams or redo essays or, you know, just want somewhere to eat lunch. That's not the gym floor. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They can be with me. So it's sometimes it's mentally too much. And sometimes I'm just in the teacher's lounge. Like I know when I myself need to recharging. Of course. Yeah. You know, I was, I'm always telling my parents, you know, I haven't had this conversation in a while, but you know, at the beginning of the year, oh, so-and-so went home on sick leave. And I don't know when they're coming back. There are so many teachers on burnout right now. It's crazy. It's like more, almost half of the staff at my school are different teachers. Wow. How many are you in total? Typically. We're over you know, honestly, easily teachers alone were at least over 150 personnel. Oh, wow. Okay. If not almost 200. So there's a lot of people who are on sick leave and no one's really talking about it. Um, which is like, you know, it's okay. It's everyone's own personal battle. And to an extent, we're lucky that we're still working compared to other sectors that have been shut down, but it's not easy sometimes. Nope. Yeah. Look at what you smiling about Ella there. Trying to, <laughs> we and Ella trying to figure out our next move right now. My <laughs> <bad>. <laughs> oh. Told you I'm a teacher, I can talk a lot. <laughs> uh, no, what you've been saying, um, I, I feel so moved, you know, right now on so many levels. Yeah, I mean, and when that happens, ultimately, Neela, that means... You're a great guest. You're an excellent guest, you know, because, I mean, it, it. all we are doing is providing the means, you know, for you to get your message out there, 
you know, to say your piece about what's going on regarding what you're doing, right? And we just put it out there, right? That 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 is the essence. Of course, we have the themes here, you know. I mean, re- regarding pushing change, um, but you are it. Your students are it. Right. And one day they're going to look back. I mean, some of them, I mean, I, I don't know what these uh, statistics, you know, how, how many, um, you know, in this case, adolescents, you know, or the students will eventually become a teacher. We are all teachers in a sense. I believe that. Yeah. But uh, who will actually join um, the education system? And then one day they'll think back, you know what? I'm glad I had a teacher like that, you know, you know, encourage that stuff. Right. Yeah. I, boy. That's something. And Luca was talking about it before, feeding back into his uh, his profs that he had once upon a time. And I'm thinking about that, too. You know, I'm just like, thank you. In other words, you know. Yeah. yeah. I have teachers I look back and I'm like, you know, I they shape my thinking. They shape my my belief, like part of my belief system. You know, and like, think about it, What you know, especially for high school, like how many hours we spent in that institution. You know, Alan, I know you went to face and like that's a whole other experience too because you mm-hmm. started like all the beginning of elementary to the end of high school just in that you know in that institution in that vibe and that energy with like and it's just you know we have such an impact in general on kids because that's where they spend their time you know yeah. and i just want to make it worthwhile for them i want to make it i want to try to make them better people i want to try to make them happy people i want to help them discover themselves you know i'm part of the i'm part of their journey Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I don't want to dictate their journey, you know? So I totally hear what you're saying. I'm thankful for my teachers too, growing up hundred yeah. percent. You're the Gandalf, you know, to the, to their guy, to their you know, spiritual journey here, you know, <laughs> I know I can say that, you know, Luca's a Lord of the Rings fan. Neela, I believe you're a Lord of the Rings fan as well. Oh yeah. How can you not be? Those are like masterpieces, you know? <laughs> there are some people out there that would be like, I don't know what what that is. You know? As if it's like a foreign alien, you know, manuscript of sorts. Uh, they don't know what they're missing. I know. I know. No. Don't worry. We're going to show them the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 100%. <sighs> All right, so we're gonna get we're we're coming towards the end of our episode right now. So just uh, to end off with two little questions here. So, um, first one: what what advice would you offer those looking to study a second language? And then, what tips would you also offer people aspiring to become teachers? Okay, so um, is there one I should answer first? Oh, however you like however, to. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, so for tips on studying a second language. Okay, amazing. You know, this is uh, something that. I'm actually doing it myself. I'm trying to learn Punjabi, which is my native, my mom's native language. And that's All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so difficult. Like I'm telling you, because I learned only from my grandmother, I can understand a little bit, but most of my vocabulary, okay, is derived in the kitchen. You know, like I understand <laughs> food terminology, kitchen things. I, you know, I can say like many words on how to cook something, but that's about it. You know, um, so I guess from what I would say is that, you know, use technology because that is something that is, Mm. you know, so pivotal to our generation. There is so many things you can do in terms of tech. You could, um, okay, simply put, watch episodes or movies that are in that language with subtitles, which is super important. Subtitles are really important because you learn also not just pronunciation, but how things are spelt. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's kind of like a dual function. Um, you, there's so many apps that are devoted to learning a second language. You know, like there's Rosetta Stone there, which also has like a lot of sales for some reason lately. There's also Duolingo, which is like a free app. 
So those are really important because they keep you accountable. They carry you through lessons instead of just being more passive. You know, finding a friend or finding someone even online that you connect with, that you can talk to in that language and practice just simple dialogue. Because language is something that you build with over time. And I told this to my students because even mm -hmm. French, like I grew up in a French town and I had French friends growing up. And to this, to this day, because you know, when you speak, when you say something in French, you have to, you know, make the pronoun in accordance to the noun. So something right. is like la ou le. I always mix those up. I always do. But it's. Then I meant bon I get you. I get you. Yeah. Right? But it's something that you build upon forever. Mm -hmm. There are words I come up with in like English language now that I read that I'm like, oh, I learned something new today. Right? Expressions, all these things. So language, and you know, when you learn language, you don't just learn words. You also learn part of a culture. Mm-hmm. Right. So I tell my, my, you know, for anyone, you know, looking to learn a language, you know, put yourself out there, go out of your comfort zone, but don't think of it. It's like going to the gym. Like you can't just decide, okay, yeah, tomorrow I'm going to run a 5k. If you've never been to the gym or you've never run, you have to work at it just even little bits every single day. Yes. So try to make it small, set small goals, try to work on it, diversify it, not just listening, but watch things, you know, read, look at subtitles, try to find people you can interact with, try to make it as diversified as possible. Nice. Yeah, so that's that. And I know this too, because I taught adult school for a bit. So I taught students who did not know English at all. Like they came here and I was teaching at an adult school, teaching people who just, you know, immigrate here, who are refugees, who just are learning English for the first time. And I had to use symbols and I had to point at things and pictures. So it's just about practice. Mm-hmm small amounts of practice um when it comes for people who want to be teachers i think it's the most rewarding profession you know uh, you know i think it's so important to say this people are going to tell you don't do it they're going to say the working conditions aren't great or it's not you know a high esteem job that's something in my community i faced you know in the seat community people were like well, why aren't you becoming a university professor why a high school teacher you know, why? That's not good enough. That's not reflective of your, you know, intellectual ability. Why are you doing that? No, it's honestly such a rewarding job. I get to be around students all day and I get to teach them things that, you know, I think are so important and I'm transmitting that. And I try to create a safe space for them. And it is so rewarding to be able to have these conversations, to be able to have these laughs, mm -hmm. right? So I say like, listen, if this is what you want to do, you try it out. Cause you know, after stage one, whether you like it or not. Cause you know, if when you're in stage and you're teaching, you're in charge of a class, you're going to know right away. Okay. Am I, am I shit? Yeah. <laughs> Does this suck? <laughs> you know, no, I should have gone into finance. No, you're going to know this is what I like. This is what I don't like. Um, so I say, just go for it. And it's a tough road. It's like, I recognize my privilege that I got in right away and I got my permanency off. Like I'm getting my permanency this year. So my second year, and it's not, you know, what everybody gets. But one thing about teaching that's interesting too, that I didn't know is that you can do substitute teaching even within your education. So if you're studying education, you can do substitute teaching if you're in your, you know, 
second, third, fourth year, because it's a four-year degree even with CJ. Mm -hmm. In your degree, you can like give out your CV to you know secretaries at schools in your area, and you can go and substitute for them. They'll call you. They'll call you at five thirty in the morning. They'll call you at six in the morning. It's not pleasant, but you'll be paid, <laughs> and you'll get experience. That's true. Uh, a friend of ours, uh, he's aspiring to become, um, I believe, um, he, I, I don't know, Luca, is he, is he set on high school? Uh, I think so. I think so. I think so. Yeah, it's a friend of ours from Human Relations. He also just graduated last semester. Um, and he, he ran a stage uh, with Luca, as well as another good friend of ours who's also been on the podcast. Um, and he realized, like, oh, my God, I, I like instructing. I like guiding, you know, the, the younger generation. And he's... Um, you know, not dead set on what on specifically, but he says, that's what I want to be doing, mm -hmm. you know, and he's like more or less fallen in love with the idea and he started looking at the information. So what you just shared, you know, is that's what he said. He said, I can go back and I can do, start my substitution, you know, yeah. and he, he just goes like, I'm, I'm, like, I'm set for it, you know, so... And his good name is Pat. So shout out to Pat. We've had... It's been a while <laughs> since we've had one of those. <laughs> for real, though. Yeah, and you know what? Especially if you want to do a high school, you know, if you want to teach high school, you can... Uh, if you have a teachable degree, meaning, like, if you've done a degree in... I'm not sure about human relations, but if you've done a degree in, like, history or English, lit, or... Mm -hmm. um, you can do a master's in education, and it's a shorter degree, and then you can have the ability to teach it in high school so you can do that so there are shortcuts there are but at the end of the day what I, talk, what I have to say is that teachers are really needed like you know it's just it's a profession that's so much fun i have so much fun in my job like you know it's great i sometimes i stress too much sometimes i'm upset and i reflect sure. yeah. and sometimes i cry and sometimes i'm like overwhelmed <laughs> but it's the best i'm out of my comfort zone i'm with kids i'm just you know I'm not sitting at a desk. I am yeah. dynamic. I, I have mm -hmm. kids coming up to me with like real world problems being like, hey, can you help me with this? Or hey, can you give me advice? Or, oh, can we, you know, can you stay at lunch and can we put on stranger things? You know, like that's my life. I'm paid to do that. Like it's the best. So I, I'm like, yeah, it's I love it. I fucking love it. solid. It, you know, yeah. huge. I'm, I'm a huge advocate for teaching. I think it's. I couldn't have done anything else. This is where I want to be. And, you know, for everyone out there who wants to do that, like, yeah, fuck it. Yeah, fuck yeah. Like, 100% go for it. Neela said it. That's it. Boom. Neela, thank you so much you know, for coming on this evening, you know, talking about, you know, everything, uh, you know, from the from the good to the, to the hardships, you know, to what still currently challenges us within the education system, within society as a whole, you know, and this is how, you know, we start, you know, let's wake up, let's talk about it, right? Let's get that awareness going and just remember that uh, we're, we're here to make a difference if you want to make a difference and you are making that difference. So thank you very much. Um, I do believe, you know, you do have uh, some parting words. I don't know. You could say them if you like to, you know. Most guests tend to. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So we are Alpha Relations Driving Change Forward. Oh, that was good. Yeah. Love it. Love it. <laughs> there we go. Luca, take it away. All right. Once again, thank you, Neela, for coming on. Uh, it was a pleasure having you. And um, for those listening on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, turn on post notifications if you haven't already. Uh, if you're on other platforms, hit that follow button. And as always, take care, everyone. Peace out.
Stay beautiful. Bye. Bye.